Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams. Today, we are joined by Corinne Mason, partner at Summit Leadership Partners. On this edition of the show, Dr. Mason will tell us about the great resignation, navigating and ensuring leaders remain focused on issues of inclusion and diversity when social justice, return to office, and the war for talent concerns are at an all-time high. Dr. Mason, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate you having me here today. No, it's my pleasure. Let's let's dive right in. First off, why is the C-suite concerned about talent now? Well, you know, so let me back up for just a minute and set a little background and context, if Please. that's okay. So uh, Summit just recently completed a study of private equity CEOs, okay, CEOs of private companies. And we realized that they're facing several talent management challenges right now, including retention, leader succession planning, equity and inclusion. And this is all amid a rapidly changing business environment. Many of them are concerned about management team burnout as well. And that would make it more difficult for them to execute on business objectives in this business environment that's actually poised for considerable growth. So if you think about it from a perspective of like a private equity investor, they want to pursue aggressive timelines to drive value creation and increase company value. But now they have all of these talent concerns. So then on top of that, you can you think about the fact that companies are struggling to balance the need to address also social justice issues, which we saw spike in 2020 and now are continuing through 2021. And you see the current environmental challenges like COVID return to the office and other issues. Additionally, there's some great pressure around organizations now to increase their diversity representation at all levels in their organizations. This is um, seen, for example, in what NASDAQ just recently did to increase board diversity. At the same time, we saw unemployment spike to around 15% in March of 2020. If you think about it, that was the highest we had seen since the Great Depression. Sure. And in this year, 2021, we had over 4 million people that changed jobs or quit. So if we think about all of this, we know recovery is happening. We're seeing a slower return to work, though, on the part of women and minorities. And we're also seeing that due to childcare issues, things like jobs lost in certain sectors like hospitalities and services. And all of this adds to the fact that a lot of organizations also leaned out their staff when the pandemic first hit. And now they're all trying to hire. So as we return to normal, there's this rush on talent. And those people who are willing to be job searchers are actually in more demand and can demand things like flexibility and better pay. That's a good so that's thing. the context for the conversation today. And then you asked me the question, why is the C-suite concerned about that? Well, because their talent's leaving. Yeah. There's an exodus of talent, right? And that's a problem, <laughs> especially when it's high level or key talent, those folks that they want to retain. Um, and just a little bit about why um, I might be poised to speak on this topic. If yes, you don't mind please. Um, so Summit Leadership Partners, where I'm a partner, is a group of leadership advisory consultants who consult with senior leaders and investors to talk about high growth and scale for companies, mostly private, high growth, mid-market companies. In that process, we're very invested in making sure that the senior leaders are focusing on the right things and that they have the right skills, capabilities, and behaviors to do things they need to do to make their companies grow. So back to your question, the exodus on talent. If you recently saw the Washington journals, uh, they did a really interesting article on this thing called the pandemic flux 
syndrome that we're all going through. This is the idea that this kind of long-term pandemic effect is causing a lot of people to make significant changes in their lives, whether it's at work or at home. So 46% of the CEOs that we interviewed listed retaining top talent as a major issue. They also listed cultural change. So think about this. All of us went home. Well, not all of us, but a lot of us went home, yeah. right? During the COVID <laughs> pandemic. Sure did. And so when we went home, whatever cultures we had in those organizations kind of followed us, but maybe didn't. And then if we had to lean out our workforce and now we're hiring people back in, are we hiring them back in because they're going to work from home? Are they going to have flexible situations? How does that contribute to culture? So culture has become a major aspect and a lot of concern for some of these CEOs. Yeah, there, there's no question. And to that extent, um, what are the implications for HR and recruiters? Yeah. So if you think about our friends in HR and recruiting, I feel for them right now, honestly, because there's a ton of open positions, which means their lives are just you know, going to be full of doing nothing but interview after interview after interview. And right now we're seeing a lot of talent moving across companies. So HR is worried about retaining them. Recruiters are worried about trying to find them and put them into roles. Additionally, there's this call for diversity representation in those talent slates. So how do we get more diversity represented in those slates that we're trying to hire? We also have higher experienced leaders like women and those of color who are finding more opportunities and higher demand. So trying to get them to be part of the diverse slate is going to be difficult. Additionally, companies will have to pay attention to the idea of assessing for culture. We just talked about how difficult that might be. So now you have to think about when you're hiring somebody, are they really going to help create the culture that we want them to create, even in a remote work environment? And you might need to think more deeply about how to build change and sustain culture with every single person that you hire. Also, companies are encouraging inclusive leadership so that leaders now are you know, really appreciating diversity, respecting the positive benefits that can be recognized by it. Um, so, you know, you see all of these different things coming together and that's just making the lives of our recruiter friends a lot more difficult. Uh, recently, in fact, I was just speaking with one of our CHRO partners here in Austin, Texas. So prior to the pandemic in 2019, Austin was one of those places, you know, you offered somebody a job and they came. Yeah. This is the place everybody wanted to be. That's right. <laughs> um, but she was just recently looking for a chief data officer. So pretty high level data analytics kind of role. And she spoke, she, she said she looked at over 500 people. She spoke to over hundred and deeply interviewed over 50 and still couldn't get anybody to move because now workers are realizing there's no reason to move. We can all work remotely. So even these great cities like Austin that used to be able to attract talent are no longer being able to do that. And we have to really think about this differently. Conversely, you still have the issues that we're dealing with on frontline employee challenges. So this is, you know, leadership and professional employees we've been talking about. But if you think about frontline leaders, like in hospitality and retail, think about the roller coaster they've been on since COVID. People can eat in restaurants, people can't eat in restaurants, people can converge indoors, people can't converge indoors. All of these things have been going on. And so those workers have really seen just a lot of significant challenges. And that includes a lot having to do with women and diverse people um, and minorities in those roles. It, it, it's such a fascinating time. Uh, and, and 
great answers so far and everything's going, you know, just wonderfully. Um, help me help me to summarize why diversity, equity and inclusion matter. It seems like a basic question, but why? Yeah, I love I love that question, Rob. So let's start with it's just the right thing to do. Right. Um, me personally, I have a big passion around females in leadership. In fact, I coach, I'm a, I'm a specialty coach for helping women in executive positions. So I've just done a lot of research in this space. And, you know, as we've been discussing, there's a need for talent and that that talent now is going to have different faces, genders and experiences. They need to have, in order for companies to hire the best people, they're going to have to have a range of options. And that means to hire the highest and best performers, you have to attract, engage, and retain diverse populations of employees. For those that need the numbers to further, further support that ethic, in other words, those that need the numbers to support the fact that it's the right thing to do, it turns out that organizations in the top quartile for both gender and ethnic diversity are 12% more likely to outperform other organizations on profitability. Additionally, there's a ton of growing acknowledgement on the part of investors and leaders in environmental, social, and corporate governance and the impact that has on brand culture and overviews, overall views of organizations. Great answer. Uh, great answer to a, a unique question in this time, for sure. As we're talking with Dr. Corinne Mason, um, how do companies create more inclusion? Uh, again, these seem like basics, but you're, you're the expert on this, in my opinion. How do we make this happen? Yeah, you would think that would be an easy answer. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, you know, companies have been at this for 20 plus years, right? Trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. And it turns out that a lot of the attempts they've made around training, posters on the wall, those kind of things just don't make the impact you think that they might. It, it, inclusive leadership, like most things, is a journey, not a destination, so as leaders, we're on this journey to be more open, have a greater perspective, do things that we need to do in order to become more inclusive ourselves. Uh, in fact, a recent review of DEI practices across 800 organizations confirmed what Summit knows in our experience, which is that driving DEI change actually has to start at the top with leadership. And they found that senior leader commitment is the most essential thing to driving successful outcomes. So in our study with the 200 CEOs that I mentioned before, 95% of them listed diversity, equity, and inclusion as a key focus area. However, 44% of them had yet to develop a formal strategy for their company. So think about that. 95% mm. say it's important, but only about half of them have a formal strategy for how to do it. Okay. Yes. Something's wrong there. Um, Right. Yeah, that's a problem. So now, you know, you start to see why there might be still so much work that needs to be done in this space. And then, you know, for those that had developed a DEI strategy, the, really their top ranked initiative was to challenge their cultures and to create culture change. And we just talked about why that's a significant challenge in this new working environment that we've created with COVID. So now all of these things start to you know, go together and make it more difficult. Um, so, all of that to say that we found that leadership behavior and really helping leaders at the top have a critical commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion is going to be the most impactful thing for organizations as they create more inclusion in their organization. Mm. 
You mentioned leaders before, and uh, I think a, a perfect follow-up question is how do we identify an inclusive leader? Thank you for that question. So one of the things Summit does, we are a collection of masters and PhD, most of us psychologists, right? So we spend a ton of time helping to assess and develop leaders in organizations. So we did a ton of work around what does it look like to be on this inclusive leadership journey? Like, what is that really going to entail? And specifically, we formulated something called an inclusive leadership journey that speaks to how leaders pass through four stages of development. So that first stage is awareness. Think about this as you're aware of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You might be aware of some of the opportunities that arise with diverse thinking and perspective. You recognize privileges and barriers that might be associated with certain groups, and you might have some keen insight into the circumstances and background of yourself, right? So just the sort of early stage awareness. The next level is really about appreciation. So in this next phase, we see a leader begins to show admiration and respect for diversity of perspective. They begin to truly value diversity and consider inclusive practice as critical components to effective collaboration and innovation thinking. They remain open and humble, and they really do strive to learn more about different people, cultures, perspectives, and opinions. Now, as you move to a more significant level, right, you become actively engaged. So in the third stage, a leader evolves to actively include people from underrepresented groups and to be part of activities and initiatives that do that. They intentionally foster what we call a psychologically safe environment. This is basically an environment where others feel valued and represented. Mm -hmm. And then finally, if you get to sort of the pinnacle of all of this, right, it's to become an advocate and an ally, which we've heard a lot about allyship in the news and, and other articles around social justice lately. And the idea here is that the leader will be a, not just comfortable with all of these other things, but comfortable acknowledging and calling out all forms of discrimination. So you actively start to challenge your own and other people's assumptions. You challenge outdated practices that might perpetuate inequity. And then you remain resilient during tough conversations. You act in an authentic manner that's aligned with the values of equity and inclusion in your organization. So that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, you know, and, it, and the other thing that we found is this is all moderated by type of group too. So if you think about it, you might move through these journeys by groups that you're more comfortable with first and then kind of work your way out to maybe things that you have less experience with or less comfort with. Oh, that's really well said. Very, that's, that's really well done. Um, so much to, to think about, but how about closing thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, so much going on here, right? So CEOs and others are rightfully concerned about the challenges in retaining and hiring the right talent today. We know that's a big factor. We keep hearing this, you know, great resignation and pandemic flux syndromes and all of these things that are going on. So we know talent is a major concern. We also know that workers are now in a particularly interesting position to leverage more from organizations. Look, they're asking for everything from equal pay to flexible work to better representation, and they have every right to. And now is the time where they're going to really flex those muscles, right? Um, our HR and talent acquisition friends are going to be challenged by finding employees that have the right skill sets required. And we really need to help guide their own senior leaders to think more broadly about diversity around how they're going to get representation, how they're going to create culture change, all of those things that we've discussed. And even our senior managers are at that place of pandemic flux syndrome and burnout, right? So even the highest level leaders are really starting to face 
difficult consequences of what's been going on the past two years. They're tired. Oh, yeah. And they're worn out and they've got Zoom fatigue or whatever else you want to call it. Right. There's so much like I've seen more people in a flat video based you know, environment than I ever have in my whole life. And what does that do to us mentally? We have to think about that. So in, you know, in the midst of all of this culture and the culture of organizations is going to be super important. How do we do that with the new way of working? And we're going to have to think about that. We also have to think about that one of the best and fastest ways to change culture in organizations, by the way, for the better or the worse, is through every single person that you hire. So one of the fastest ways that you change and build culture in organizations is through hiring. A lot of companies that Summit works with are actually doubling in size. So think about the impact that might have, Rob. If you think about, I have 200 employees today, but by the end of the year, I might have 400. Yeah. Does that change your culture? <laughs> you bet it does. Right? right. So we have to think about every single one of those people, not just the skills they bring, but who are they? Are they inclusive? Are they thinking broadly? Do they have good innovation capability? Are they going to have a good work ethic? All of those things that we might need to build into yeah. our cultures. How do they fit into right? the puzzle? How do they fit into the puzzle? Super important. Additionally, senior management teams will have to incorporate those diversity, equity, and inclusion ideas into their strategy. They're going to have to really mean it. We talked about that inclusive leadership journey. And if they don't mean it, everything else they do, training, posters on the wall, all of those things will fall flat. In I thought, regards yeah, to, I, I thought your use of the word authenticity was very strong. I think that's right. I think it has to be authentic. And the only way to make it authentic is to go through the journey yourself. Yeah, sure. So the truth of the matter is companies that get this right will outperform those companies that don't. And that's the bottom line. The bottom line is if you're an investor, you want a company and a group of leaders who know how to do this. If you're a management team professional, you want to be a leader who is able and capable to do this. And if you're looking for a job, you want to find a place that already has this under control, right? This is, this is what you're out to look for. So You know, at Summit, we believe that hiring a diverse workforce and developing diverse leaders is a start. Building a culture of inclusion and belonging requires everyone's involvement, especially among allies and sponsors with the potential to enact real change through their influence and investment. So we feel like we have a responsibility as a leadership advisory firm to really partner with these senior leaders, raise their level of awareness, help them move through this inclusive leadership journey, help them to actively engage with others who have different backgrounds and perspective, and ultimately improve improve that inclusion and equity in the business world one leader at a time. Absolutely fascinating look at the journey for creating an inclusive culture along with talent concerns and our evolving culture. Uh, Dr. Mason, I'm so grateful for your time. Excellent. Thank you so much for letting me talk your ear off, Rob. It's been a great great conversation. (laughs) I've enjoyed it very much. We thank you so much. And, And that's all the time we have today, along with Dr. Corinne Mason, partner at Summit Leadership Partners. I'm Rob Adams, and this has been Talent Talks. 